Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. Ravi, what's going on this week? Well, Jason, picking up where we left off last week, uh, we have some breaking news. Just before we recorded this podcast, Liz Cheney was voted out of her position as the number three Republican in the House of Representatives. You know, this came after key leaders of the Republican Party went against her. On Monday, in a letter, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy told House Republicans that he supported ousting Cheney because, quote, she's been relitigating the past, meaning rebutting Trump's repeated false claims that he won the 2020 election. Uh, that letter also said, interestingly, that unlike the left, we embrace free thought and debate, you know, which is interesting given that the letter was in the context of them ousting somebody for having a dissenting view. But Liz Cheney remains defiant. The nation needs a strong Republican Party. Uh, the nation needs a party that, uh, that is based upon fundamental principles of conservatism. And I am committed and dedicated to ensuring uh, that that's how this party goes forward, and I plan to lead the fight to do that. Uh, I uh, will do uh, everything I can to ensure uh, that uh, the former president never again gets anywhere near the Oval Office. We have seen the danger uh, that he continues to provoke with his language. Uh, we have seen his lack of commitment and dedication to the Constitution. Uh, and I think it's very important that we make sure whomever we elect is somebody who will be faithful to the Constitution. So she kind of has taken a, an approach that's quite different than a lot of the people we've talked about on this podcast, like the Jeff Flakes of the world, et cetera, who kind of quietly go off into the sunset. One interesting wrinkle in this story was that one of the things that set Cheney apart from her colleagues, or at least set them off, was that there was some kind of internal meeting of the House GOP where a pollster was giving a presentation on swing districts for the 2022 election. And Liz Cheney, for one reason or another, knew that this pollster was withholding information that Trump was deeply unpopular in these swing districts and became combative about it. Uh, the reason why I mention this is because this gets to this key debate uh, within the Republican Party is that Lindsey Graham claims that the Republican Party cannot win without Trump. Cheney th thinks that they can't win with him and thinks that there's data behind that. Um, but she also made a, an even deeper point in the closed door meeting today. She said that the party and potentially the country is going down a path of destruction. So she's been making two arguments, a moral one and a strategic one. The reason why I mention this is because a lot of people seem to have people in their lives. Like when we had my brother on, he kept repeating that, oh, Trump is not going to run again. They seem there's a lot of people in the GOP, maybe 30, 40 percent of the GOP who are like, I'm over this guy. 
I'm going to use the fact that he's no longer in office to say we've turned the page for him. It's about whatever, you know, the, the culture wars, cancel culture, taxes, et cetera. And so I'm trying to think of like, I don't like talking about Trump, but I'm like, how much do I want to keep bringing people back to the fact that there's a personality cult in the GOP side? It's individual examples, right? Like if, if you're talking about an election where it is, let's say you're in Wisconsin, let's say Ron Johnson runs for reelection, right? Well, I mean, the fact that Trump is, is unpopular is, is quite relevant. And the fact that Ron Johnson is, is a collaborator is, is quite relevant, you know? So if you're talking about individual elections and you're trying to persuade people in your life away from voting for, you know, down ballot Republicans, uh, and they're claiming that they're not down with Trump, that they, you know, that they're now doing this revisionist history, like, oh, you know, I was never okay with that, but I like the policy. Well, at some point, yeah, they have to make a choice and you can, you can possibly help force that choice. But the problem is, is that nobody's, uh, you know, bank account, nobody's health insurance situation is, is being changed by whether or not they like the way Trump acted and they like the way, uh, you know, he talked. It's, it's, it's been the problem for five years is that you can litigate that over and over again, but you're just providing an escape hatch for people. At the end of the day, there are no shortcuts. We have to win the argument. And I guess what I'm saying is, and what Democrats don't want to hear right now is, we have to persuade people not just that they don't like what Trump stands for, but also that they don't like what Liz Cheney stands for. That's how you win an argument, is you have to be like, look, yeah, there's this Liz Cheney and Trump thing, whatever. They both want to do things that are not the right things for the country, and here's why. Like, you just have to be very passionate about that view if you want to bring people over to our side. Well, uh, this obviously, this, this Liz Cheney thing, at the heart of it was this her critique of the big lie, you know, the fact that the election in 2020 was not stolen. This is not just about internal GOP politics, of course. In Arizona, Republicans have been running a sham audit of Maricopa County votes, uh, and they recently had to shelve a plan to go door-to-door harassing voters about their ballots because the Department of Justice intervened, as as did the Democratic Arizona Secretary of State. Governor DeSantis signed into law Florida's uh, new voter suppression measures, Texas is up next and has a law that's even more restrictive than Georgia and Florida. I know I ask you this every week, Jason, but w- what can we be doing about this? So I think there's there's two approaches here. The The first approach is to, like we talk about on the show all the time, is to personalize it and to help people understand why it is that you care so much about this issue, like why you feel that this makes you fearful and you're right to be about the long-term viability of American democracy. Like, I think this goes in the category of passion is persuasive. The other approach when you're talking to people is to recognize that this may not be the argument that moves them. I mean, we're talking about people who are in many respect, in many cases, uh, unlikely to be moved to action on issues like climate change. And Oftentimes, that's because they view it as so far in the future, or or they have a pro, they have a very hard time envisioning uh, the like horrible trauma of climate change actually coming to fruition. So they can't really envision it. So they can't really vote on it. Well, this is the same thing. If you have always viewed American democracy as sort of an immutable, permanent reality then it, it might be very hard to persuade you that it truly is in jeopardy, no matter how much evidence there is. And if that's the kind of person you're dealing with, well, then you've got to move back away from this issue and, and convince them on some other issue. I mean, because we're not talking about getting votes in the Senate. We're talking about getting people who we deal with in our lives 
to side with, you know, the progressive majority. And so you've got to figure out who you're dealing with. Are you dealing with the person who can be persuaded by your passion on, you know, preserving American democracy? Or are you dealing with a person who can't envision a world where America is not a fully functioning democracy? And then there's two paths to take based on who you're dealing with. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I've been thinking about a lot is part of what would help with those people is, uh, is air cover, right? Like, some kind of concerted effort to get in front of people about this issue so that we even know what we're dealing with, right? Like, I think it's tricky right now because we have so many pieces of legislation moving through Congress that I understand right now why the Biden administration hasn't leaned into this more because the timing might not be right. Like, if they're, if they start hitting the airwaves and flagging for this now, Based on Schumer's timeline, this thing isn't going to be up until potentially August, uh, which feels really late, but that's what he said. So, you know, I'm left wondering, like, is there going to be a robust concerted effort then to build public support for this? And what would that even look like? Because some of this stuff is super arcane, like redistricting. You know, we really do have an uphill climb here to try to get people, you know, like you're saying, like, it just it doesn't move a lot of people. But in some cases, we may we need something, you know, because like, even if we win the policy arguments based on what we were talking about last week with Dan, the deck is so stacked against us coming up with everything that we talked about, about the historical trends and the rigging of the elections, that even if we win all these policy arguments, we could still lose if all this rigging is left untouched, you know? Yeah, I think Dan made a, a really, and for, for anybody who's listening who hasn't listened to last week's episode, I encourage you to go back and listen. I thought Dan made a really compelling and creative uh, argument for going about the filibuster from an approach other than voting rights. And I know Let America Vote is is running ads nationwide right now on this, but uh, I, obviously you'd like to see a, a lot of other parts of, of the left get in and, and really lean into this argument. But I suppose if I were to put my myself in the place of the Biden administration, there is an argument to be made for building up the momentum and the political capital to where more people feel confident in the Senate to move forward. So like if you get a ton of stuff done that Americans really, really like across the board, uh, then you're in a much stronger position to to push voting rights, which is something that, you know, a smaller group of the country is really invested in the issue just because it is difficult to understand. Yeah, like, you know, or not get what we want, right? And show the stakes of, right. like, it's kind of a two-step process, right? Like we got to get, certain key senators on board with the substance of voting rights and with the changing of the filibuster. And for the latter, we need to show that there, that there are real, like that there are people on the other side, not acting in good faith. Uh, and on that note, uh, we had some interesting remarks from uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, who when was asked about the Liz Cheney and GOP infighting said, 100% of my focus is standing up to this administration. And he added, We have in the United States Senate total unity from Susan Collins to Ted Cruz in opposition to what the new Biden administration is trying to do to this country. So McConnell, once again, I mean, he did this at the beginning of the Obama administration. He says that his his sole focus is stopping Obama and making him a one-term president. He's saying it out loud again. Yet uh, we have Kirsten Sinema and Manchin basically on the same day that McConnell said that, continuing to say that they believe that compromise and collaboration with the GOP is possible and desirable and necessary. So the GOP has made this bipartisanship 
critique, we've talked about this in previous weeks, one of the central attacks on the Biden administration, saying that the Biden administration is not interested in being bipartisan, yet we have the GOP saying out loud and voting that way, um, doing everything they possibly can to stop Biden. Like, wh- how do we... How do we move past all this like, and actually do something? I think when you're talking to somebody about this, it's really important to remember that bipartisanship is not a thing of value in and of itself, right? Like a friend of mine joked recently that uh, you can't bring your bipartisanships down to the bank and cash them. Like it's not a thing that makes an everyday difference in people's lives. The reason Thank that Americans- God, by the way, if we don't, because we would all be bankrupt. <laughs> we'd, be, it'd be, we'd be in <laughs> bread lines. Um, but, but, you know, the reason that people like bipartisanship is not because like they just want to see Republicans and Democrats work together. Like they don't care. People like bipartisanship because in most scenarios, it's synonymous with getting shit done. Right. Like and what people like is when stuff gets done. And so it's important not to fall into that trap where someone said, well, he's not being very bipartisan. Well, rather than get into, well, the Republicans won't work with him because bipartisanship is not a good in and of itself. The answer to that is here's what he is getting done. It's, you know, the, the Republicans don't agree with him and they don't want this stuff to get done. And that's why they're not being bipartisan. But what he's doing is getting stuff done. And I would just, if you're talking to somebody this, I would just ask them, like, do you want stuff to get done or do you want things to be bipartisan and not have anything get done? Because that is the choice right now. Yeah, I actually, when I saw this McConnell quote, instead of getting angry, I I got more calm because it's actually helpful that he said that because then reporters were putting mics up in Manchin's face saying, what do you have to say about what McConnell said? And Manchin was forced to have to deal with that. And he, you know, that's what prompted Manchin to say, I, I still believe that my colleagues are willing to compromise and willing to work together. But it's now implanted in his head that the leader of his party not only says that he's going to stop Biden, but named the very people that uh, Manchin claims are compromising with him and saying that they're united in trying to stop Biden. So I actually think it was very helpful that he said that. And I honestly think it was a slip up. Often, you know, McConnell is, you know, we view him as this evil genius, but I think he was caught in a moment of frustration because he was being asked about the infighting within the GOP, which is obviously something I think he's conflicted about because I think he's, to the extent he has a heart, uh, his heart is with Cheney, but um, given the fact that he doesn't have a spine, like he's not going to publicly go with her. So I think he was just frustrated is my read on it. And I mentioned this because it's cathartic to think about the frustrations of the other side, because I know that they make us frustrated often. Yeah, no, he's in an impossible spot uh, and, and deservingly so. I think your analogy is great. Like he, he, he has uh, a tiny little, like the heart that the Grinch had before, like in the beginning of the story, but he has no spine. So it's, it's quite a spot to be in. So I just got back from a road trip to a yet undisclosed location where we're getting very close to uh, acquiring a piece of land and moving forward on building another village to house homeless veterans. But that aside, I had to spend a couple of nights without my Helix mattress. And uh, boy, you know, I mean, I hope people appreciate my service. It's rough. It's rough compared to being on my Helix mattress. Thank yes, you thank you. you. That's I've yeah. been hoping someone would say thank you. Thank you very much. The Helix mattress is something special. And look, everybody's unique, and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot, and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. We took the Helix quiz. Uh, we were both matched with the Midnight Lux because we 
you know, both individually wanted something that felt medium and we both sleep on our side. So it's made an enormous difference in my life. And I think I can speak for Ravi as well. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash majority54. That's helixsleep.com slash majority54 for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Jason, I'm big on checklists. And before I made this trip that I'm on right now, I made a long list of things I need to bring with me. What do you think was number one on that list? I'm guessing Athletic Greens. You're guessing right, Jason. Well, let me tell you here, I have a tip for you because I just went on this little uh, road trip and I took my little Athletic Greens individual packets for traveling with me. And I learned a special thing on this trip that I hadn't quite figured out before. And so this is a tip. When you're going to put it in a water bottle, what you want to do is you want to take a couple sips first. Otherwise, you know, you, you might have a little more trouble mixing it. That's something I learned. Game changer for me because Athletic Greens is a super important part of well, it's the part of how I begin my day. Well, Jason, one scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase your energy and focus, and aid with digestion and support a healthy immune system without the need to take multiple products. And right now, Athletic Greens is offering our audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit our link today. You'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. So simply visit athleticgreens.com slash majority and make a daily commitment to your everyday health. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash majority and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Well, uh, in this week of misinformation, Jason, let's talk about COVID. Uh, right now, we have 35% of our country is fully vaccinated, 46%, so we're almost at half uh, who have two doses. Daily average vaccinations are still well over 2 million, but they're dropping, but cases are also dropping. But around the world, we continue to see tragedy. Uh, cases are growing in India, where there's just total chaos out there, and uh, it seems to be spreading in Southeast Asia. The Biden administration helpfully has indicated they're going to waive IP protections for vaccines. There are a few steps before that can actually yield anything helpful because basically what happens is you drop these IP protections uh, and then other makers of the vaccines are able to make them fast, but we need international cooperation for that. But it was a good step in the right direction. Uh, and another step in the right direction, 12 to 15-year-olds are now eligible to be vaccinated. But despite some of that, at least domestic news that's promising, the GOP continues to sow misinformation. Uh, Tucker Carlson had a 15-minute monologue on his show the other night in which he raised questions about vaccines. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Here's a very simple question. How many Americans have died after taking the COVID vaccines? That's not Americans who've been killed by the virus. That's a huge number. It's how many Americans have died after getting the vaccines designed to prevent the virus. Do you know the answer to that question? He began that monologue with an on-screen banner that said everyone in authority wants you to get your vaccine, uh, which kind of echoes a lot of what I think a lot of us are seeing in social media, which is that there's this big brother that wants you to get vaccinated. And the theories range from they want to sterilize us to control our minds, to make money, et cetera. And he's dipping his toes in that water. You know, Jason... Where we are in the stage of COVID, how should we be talking to skeptical people in our lives about this? This is so frustrating, right? Because my understanding is at no point did Tucker Carlson address whether or not he has received the vaccine. Uh, Correct. Which, I mean, 
the dude lives and works in, I think, New York City. Uh, he, you know, goes to the studios. The dude is vaccinated. I mean, this, <laughs> yes. I mean, this goes back to like uh, what I have been so irritated with about for Fox News for so long, which is their actors, right? Like they come on TV and they talk about real America and how you're not understood, you know, us here in real America. And then they walk into the next room and they wipe their makeup off their face and they get in the elevator and they go down and they like jump in an Uber and they go to their like overpriced apartment uh, that they can easily afford because of their not real America salary. And then they think about like which sushi or like Brazilian or like Asian fusion place do they want to go to tonight? My point is like they're actors. It's just anyway, it irritates the hell out of me. And yet we have to resist the urge to lean into that when we talk to people about this, because I remember a long time ago, you know, after my Senate race, but before I started doing a lot of TV, I had the opportunity to get like an afternoon of media training. And I remember this guy said to me, he said, look, when you go on a show and you're like a talking head and you get the little thing in your ear, what's important to remember is you are a guest, not just on the show, but to the people watching, you're a guest in their living room with the person who's in their living room or in their kitchen every single day, which means they have invited that person into their house every single day. And they are looking to that person as a cue as to whether or not they can trust you, this new guest who has been brought in. And so the kind of stuff they taught us was use their name, you know, make it clear if you have a personal relationship with the host, make that clear, be collegial so that you can, you know, settle into that place in the person who's watching's mind where you are trustworthy. I say all that to say, if the approach you take when someone brings this up or brings up Tucker Carlson and the questions he's asking is, you know, that dude is vaccinated. Well, you've now put yourself outside the box of trust. You are now the person who has walked into the house with the person who they let into their house every day and said, this person who you have a relationship with, they're full of it. And now you've lost all credibility with them. So that's not, unfortunately, a very effective argument uh, with your relatives. What is an effective argument is, again, I think, to personalize it and to talk about why you're vaccinated and to go back to motive, leave Tucker Carlson out of it, but go back to motive and say, why is it that this group of people, including President Trump, who's vaccinated, all these other, you know, like re powerful Republicans who are vaccinated, these politicians, stick with the politicians, why would they be interested in now that there's a new administration and new people in charge? What are the possible reasons why they would not want more people to be vaccinated? And just like, lead them to that because they clearly for better or worse they trust tucker carlson and you're gonna have a hard time undoing that when they spend an hour with him every single night you know one strategy i was thinking about is something you've talked about a lot which is just ask people questions like don't get don't let them get a rise out of you and just be like okay saw that uh meme that you shared about bill gates wanting to profit off of this vaccine i'll be like you know like how much money does bill gates have how much has he given away how much do you think he, he stands to gain from this? Does he own the vaccine manufacturers? Like, how do you know that? And just like force people to explain it. If nothing else, it'll be entertaining to see the, people, <laughs> the gymnastics people will do to try to explain Bill Gates' motive there. That's especially true of some of these mind control things, stuff like that, which unfortunately there, these things exist in my, in my friendship group. You know, people do believe some of this stuff. So I like your strategy, Jason, of just asking tons of questions. And, and really important not to get upset about it because that's like the catnip for own the libs type of folks who really just want to see us upset. 
And then you could just talk about how like you got it. And it's great to just have the peace of mind. You know, you and I are both on the, the other side of 14 days and we've both been able to move about uh, with a lot more freedom and peace of mind. And, and that just feels great. The second part of this is more in the weeds, which is like, if you really want to get into it, Tucker Carlson was talking about uh, this vaccine database. There's this federal vaccine database where essentially people self-report problems that they have after the vaccine, right? And he cites data from the saying there are X number of deaths or reported deaths and yada, yada, yada. And some of the doc- the very doctors who, who are on Fox News pushed back on this and said, essentially, this is a self-reported database where essentially what happens is you have a lot of the oldest part segments of our population taking vaccines. And anybody who has anything within months of taking this vaccine Sometimes you're going to report, hey, like, you know, when you have 100 million people taking a vaccine, people are going to die in the period of time after they take the vaccine. They're going to get sick. Things are going to happen to them unrelated to the vaccine. And there's nothing stopping them from reporting in this database that the two things were related. And the database doesn't take a position on that. Right. And I thought Jonah Goldberg had a really good metaphor that I would use with family on this when people cite these statistics or whatever is to say, you know, 100% of people who've died blinked within seconds of dying. And that doesn't mean blinking causes their deaths. So I'm going to put that one in my back pocket in case this ever comes up. So, you know, Jason, I'm at the point in my life now where I actually have some things that I'd want to leave to the people in my life if anything were to happen to me. And I've long put off writing a will just because it, it feels like an onerous exercise. And I always thought it would be expensive. But, you know, just the other day, I was waiting at a coffee shop and my friend texted me saying she was going to be about 30 minutes late. And within 30 minutes, I went on a website and wrote my entire will. Uh, Now that is both a statement of how little I own, but also more importantly, a statement of how easy this service is. It's called trustandwill.com, trustandwill.com. And it makes setting up an estate. And I love the idea of calling what I own an estate. uh, (laughs) It makes it as simple and convenient as possible. For, for as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who gets your stuff, and plan for future medical care all from the comfort of your home. Trust and will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the estate that you live in. And with live customer support seven days a week, trustandwill.com's team is available to answer any questions you have while setting up your plan. Trust and Will is the most trusted name in online estate planning, the category leader on Trustpilot, and they've helped hundreds of thousands of people protect their families, their assets, and their legacy. So gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash M54 and get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait. Go right now. This is actually quite important. Get 10% off plus free shipping at trustandwill.com slash M54. That's trustandwill.com slash M54. So Jason, I think we're going to christen a new award today. Let's call it the J.D. Vance playing the part award, uh, which is just, you know, somebody who very, very clearly, you know, as you talked about with Tucker Carlson earlier, is is acting in his own movie here. Uh, and what J.D. Vance came out with this week was, you know, he tweeted or last week that universal child care, which Warren uh, was proposing in her book, I believe is what he was responding to. He says it's an attack on the working poor. Um, Jason, just wanted to get your thoughts on this and you know, what it says about J.D. Vance and, and about the incentives of running for office as a Republican and also just what you make of that attack. It's just like J.D. Vance just thinks everyone is so stupid. Like, I mean, it's just he, he looks at this and goes, I mean, it's the most simple equation in the world. Well, 
that seems like a thing that I'm supposed to be against. How does somebody with my branding and my narrative be against it? I know. I'll just say it's bad for poor people. Like, I don't got to give a reason. I just say it's bad for poor people, which is incredible. It's like, you know, food is bad for hungry people. I mean, it's just like we actually had, by the way, a state representative several years ago in Missouri argue that hunger was an excellent motivator. And like, and th- this reminds me of that. Now, the difference is she believed that. She was like nutso. J.D. Vance isn't nutso. He's just like all about J.D. Vance. So, I mean, it's just, you know, earlier you were saying that uh, thing with McCarthy where he was saying, unlike the left, we believe in, you know, free debate. And, As he and was canceling Liz Cheney. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it just thought like, I thought we do. What we don't believe in is irony. And, and this, and, and J.D. Vance here, he's just like, doesn't believe in the beginning and the end of his sentence needing to make any sense at all or be connected to one another. And, you know, in a Republican primary, he might be right. You know, I think that there's this growing cadre, you know, whereas Trump was the golden toilet populist, you have this sort of Ivy League intellectual populists that I think are going to come to dominate the next wave of the party, whether you look at DeSantis, Josh Hawley, J.D. Vance, and I think this gives us an opening, right? These are people who claim to speak for the working poor, uh, but who are hanging out with venture capitalists, receiving money from Peter Thiel, and you know are code switching with the public. And I think that gives us a huge opportunity in the way that we kind of took down Romney in 2012 for his phoniness. I think that a lot of these people don't have the armor that Trump has. They may be smarter than him book smart. But they don't have the armor where they're well known to the public. And I think it's really important for us to paint these people. You know, it's just a lot of people Mm -hmm. acting. A lot of them don't know they're acting. Like J.D. Vance, I think, knows right now he's acting. But if you get him six months from now, he'll have convinced himself that everything he's saying is the actual truth, which is where I think Holly is at this point. And it's a real tragedy. What I think is so upsetting about this J.D. Vance thing, like I kind of made fun of him a minute ago, but like in all seriousness, the way you get to the, to this place is you have a narrative about yourself that conflicts with the reality, right? Because like, let's look at, at what he's saying. He's saying that if if poor people don't have to pay for preschool, that is an attack on them. Well, that is absurd on its face, right? Well, how could you possibly get yourself to where you could justify that statement, right? Well, you'd have to, you'd have to believe, and, and particularly if you're a person like J.D. Vance, who, look at his history, who comes from, you know, very poor roots and has now done very well for himself and been successful. Well, if there's two ways for you to see your own narrative. One way is there were other people involved who helped me get to where I am. J.D. Vance went into the Marine Corps, I believe. He could look at it and say, you know, that was a pretty important transformative moment in my life and it made a big difference in my life it gave me not just a job where i had you know housing and three squares a day but also a lot of leadership skills that i was able to utilize later he could look at it that way he could look at i'm sure a variety of other programs he took advantage of or people who helped him along the way or he could choose to take a a view that is wrong but is a lot more self-congratulatory which is i did all of this myself And if you believe that you did all of this yourself, which no one does all of anything themselves, but if you believe that, then it's a whole lot easier to say, well, it is insulting that you would actually make it so that people can send their kids to childcare where they could go get a job because those people 
are insulted that you think they can't raise their children uh, with them right by their side while working a full-time job. Like, you can only have that view if you actually somehow in your warped mind believe that that's what you did. Let's do a little quarantine corner. Jason, you attended a wedding this weekend. I did. I got to officiate. I was honored to officiate my little sister-in-law's wedding, uh, who's basically my little sister. It's Diana's little sister, but uh, she was four years old when I met her, and uh, it was awesome. I'd never officiated a wedding before, and uh, and the hard part was, uh, you know, my little sister was getting married, so I had to make it all the way through the remarks and the ceremony without crying, so I practiced a lot. And, uh, and I was able to do it. But like the moment that she turned the corner to come down the aisle with my in-laws, her uh, now husband, Spencer, the groom who was staying next to me, he started crying and then I started crying. And so I had like 30 seconds to like gather it up and, and fortunately was, was able to do that. So it was a pretty uh, special experience. But you, in the, now we can continue to play where in the world is Ravi Gupta? Tell everyone where you are right now. Well, uh, you know, I've been itching to surf outdoors again. You know, I went down to <laughs> Costa Rica. Then I went back to New York for a while and I was surfing indoors. Uh, but I was itching to go somewhere and got my vaccine. And then once I was on, you know, on the other side of two weeks, I wanted to go somewhere that like the water's clear when you're surfing, just because I had this like sense that that would be cool. Costa Rica is more like opaque, right? So you just things lurking under there which kind of plays with your head. <laughs> that um, would keep me from doing it. That's so scary. Yeah. Well, the, I got everything. I actually wrote on the airplane coming over here. I'm in Barbados. And I wrote on the airplane coming over here, like, what's the one snapshot of this trip that I want to have in my head at the end of it? Like, the perfect scene. And I said to myself, I'm surfing in the ocean, and it's clear, and I can see, like, things in the water that are friendly, right? I didn't really think about what those things would be. <laughs> and then yesterday, I'm surfing, and there's not a lot of people here because they just reopened the country to tourism. And I'm like surfing all by myself in this beautiful, clear water. And there are turtles everywhere. And it was so awesome. And every time I see turtles, I think of Finding Nemo. What happened? Oh, I saw the whole thing, dude. First you were all like, whoa. And then we were like, whoa. And then you were like, whoa. What are you talking about? You, Minnie Man, taking on the jellies. You got serious thrill issues, dude. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Ooh. I just, it was like the perfect moment and it was exactly what I wanted to get out of this trip. Uh, and it was just great. Uh, and, and it, it most importantly, it gives me more relatable content to share in quarantine corner on this. Podcast. Yeah, obviously it's super. I mean, yeah, people like turtles. Well, Jason and grab an order this week. Uh, I want to renew our plea to people to do everything we can to alleviate the suffering that's happening in India. And there's a great, or there are many great organizations, but there's one organization in particular that we love called Care India, which has been around for 70 years, basically almost as long as the country of India has been around. And they can direct your resources where they're needed. And there sure is a lot of need out there. All right. Also, I'm going to renew the call for voicemails. Um, we can get back to them in the next couple of weeks. And here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say right now while you're listening to this, stop for a second and think about the last conversation you had where you felt frustrated, whether it's somebody on, the, on, on your left or on your right or whatever, and you wanted to persuade them of something and you feel like you could have done a better job. So think about that for a moment. And now I'm going to give you the phone number. Write it down. Give us a call. Tell us about that so that we can see if we can help because that's a fun exercise. The phone number is 
2589. I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. And our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.